How would you like to do church like Jesus did? Over the past few years, we've learned that church can happen in a very meaningful way outside of a church building. In fact, we're getting raving reviews from our house churches, which are now over a hundred. Though I thank God for churches in buildings and on campuses, God is leading more and more people these days to gather for church in their homes. Not only is it easier for many people to attend a house church, but a house church can offer a level of community that campuses can't. Well, I'm excited to announce that every Thursday in December and January, I plan to host a house church interest meeting on Zoom at 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. If you're not attending a church right now and are interested, or if you know of anyone who's interested, then all they have to do is email us at hcinfo at solidlives.com or click the link in the description of this video. Okay, now let me welcome you to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where we read and talk through a chapter of the New Testament every day. I'm glad you're here because reading God's Word daily will change your life. I'd appreciate it if you'd help others find this resource by sharing the link, and if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Okay, now let's pray, and we'll jump into God's Word. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you that it's inspired. I pray that each person watching or listening today will hear what you have to say to them through your Word, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Luke chapter 23, and here's what it says. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. So notice they first, after beating him and abusing him, blaspheming him all night, they first led him to Caiaphas, who was high priest at the time. But then once they got him to admit that they were saying what they thought he meant that he was indeed the Messiah, that he was the Son of God. Then they said, see, there's the blasphemy. So now they're taking him to Pilate because uh, the Romans were really in charge. This is under the Roman Empire during this time. And so the Jews have their own law and they had certain amount of freedom to, to carry out their laws. But one freedom they did not have is to execute somebody that the Romans said, no, no, you have to bring them and we have to make sure under Roman, under Roman law that an execution is warranted. So that's why they're bringing Jesus to Pilate. Verse 2, And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, which of course is not true, saying that he himself is Christ, Messiah a king. Then Pilate asked him, Jesus, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said, It is as you say. Notice, he won't say it himself, but he's affirming that what Pilate said is true. Verse 4, So Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. I mean, right off the bat, Pilate knew. This guy didn't do anything wrong. And so look at verse 5. But they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, 
for he had desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. You know, people, when they hear of miracles, they think you're doing like a magic trick or some illusion or something. And so that, you know, you just do it at will like that. And so Herod was hoping for that. Verse 9, then he questioned him. Herod questioned Jesus with many words, but he, Jesus, answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and he sent him back to Pilate. So here he was mocked and blasphemed by the chief priests and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, then taken to Pilate. Pilate now did not mock him himself, sent him to Herod, who did end up mocking him and treating him with contempt. Verse 12, it says, uh, that very day, Pilate and Herod became friends. Kind of an interesting side issue, but uh, something's going on there. That day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your, in your presence, I have found no fault in this man. Now let me tell you what's happening. You remember that... Uh, when he's brought to Pilate, this is Passover. This is on Passover day. Passover actually started the evening before when Jesus was eating uh, the meal. It was starting on that day, but now this is Passover day. This is the day in which he's going to die. This is early in the morning. And Pilate is saying, I find, found no fault twice now here in this chapter. He said, I find no fault in this man. What's happening? This is the Passover lamb being examined and such to make sure there's no spot or blemish because a Passover lamb in Jewish law had to be a pure lamb without spot, without blemish. And then it would qualify to be a Passover lamb. Obviously, all of that Old Testament law was about Jesus because if Jesus or the, the sacrifice, the human sacrifice, had any sin or flaw, well, they would have to die for their own sin and would not be eligible uh, uh, what's the word, exchanges or eligible uh, representatives on behalf of the sinners. See, and so this is all prophetic prophecy being fulfilled by Pilate declaring, I have found no fault in this man. So he says, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death uh, has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. So notice Pilate's uh, determined here to release Jesus, but he, he's saying, I'll chastise him. In other words, I'll scourge him. I'll flog him. I'll use the cat of nine tails. These are the stripes that were laid on Jesus. And so he said, I'll chastise him and release him for it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. And they all cried at once, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city, and for murder. 
Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them, but they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Then he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? Notice this is the third time. I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison. But he delivered Jesus to their will. It wasn't Pilate's will. It was their will, the will of the chief priests, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the religious rulers, scribes, and who influenced the rest of the Jewish people there in Jerusalem. He released or delivered Jesus to their will. In other words, to be crucified. Verse 26. Now, as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian. What does that mean? He's from Libya. Modern-day Libya, okay? Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. For me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry? Now, of course, about 40 years later, the Romans came upon Jerusalem and destroyed it, burned it, okay, down. But also here in Jerusalem, this is where the whole book of Revelation is centered. And so... Uh, whether Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD or the ultimate destruction that's coming at the end of the age when Jesus comes back. Well, it could be a little of both, but nonetheless, Jesus is saying, you think this is bad? There's much worse coming in the future. Verse 32, there were also two other others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Oh, the heart of the Lord Jesus. He knew that these soldiers did not understand what they were doing. Not even Pilate or the chief priests, scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees understood what they were doing, though they made the decision to do it. They really didn't understand all the implications. So Jesus is praying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even after the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. That's a true statement. Okay, verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, the Messiah, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, rebuked the other 
uh, criminal, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for uh, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Here's another clarification or another judgment that Jesus is sinless and pure, unblemished. Verse 42. Then he, that second criminal, said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. <laughs> Thank God, even on his deathbed or death cross, he put his faith in Jesus, and Jesus was letting him know that he would indeed be saved by that faith. Verse 44, now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. So the sixth hour is nine in the morning. The ninth hour is noon. So it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness. Actually, excuse me, the sixth hour is noon, and the ninth hour is three in the afternoon. So it was darkness from 12 noon until three in the afternoon, which is about when Jesus died. So now let me tell you why I believe there was darkness. I believe that, it, you know, he was crucified at nine in the morning. The darkness came at about noon and lasted until Jesus died. I believe that right there in the center point, he hung on the cross about six hours. I believe that right about the center point is when God took the sins of the whole world, past, present, future. Every human being who ever lived or ever would live took all that sin and judgment and put it on one man, Jesus, and that it so impacted that situation that it manifested into darkness over the whole land. Didn't say it was cloudy. Didn't say that there was an eclipse. It was just dark for those three hours. So it goes on to say, verse 45 then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So notice the last thing he said was, into your hands, I commit my spirit. In other words, I'm dependent on you, Father, to raise me up from the dead. So I'm putting myself in your hands. And having said that, he breathed his last. He died. Verse 47. So when the centurion saw what had happened, and of course we know from other gospels there was a great earthquake. When the, when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision and deed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock, where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation. That day was the preparation. And the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. 
Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for going through this torture, torment, humiliation, blasphemy, pain, and shame to pay for our sins. Praise God. Well, tomorrow's chapter, the last of the Gospel of Luke, is a much brighter chapter because that's when Jesus is raised from the dead. I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.